You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. I was late by only six minutes, but still late. My fraternal twin brother got a head start on me. And not only did I arrive late, but I had to stay in the hospital for three weeks after I was born. Well, he got to go home and flourish. No wonder that by the time I got home, we looked nothing alike. He weighed more, he was taller, he had red hair, brown eyes. I had blue eyes and brown hair. But it didn't matter. We were twins. Now, most people our entire lives couldn't even believe we were related, never mind twins. Yet, for all the differences between us, When I look at him, I see it. What do I see? I see me. I see us. See, most of us take for granted what it is to feel like you belong. To see a genetic story in the faces of our own families. So you can imagine that decades later, when I drove my wife to meet her birth mom for the very first time, that whole experience was lost on me. Until you ask Amy about what it felt like, you just don't know. Now, I may have been there, but she still needed to tell me what was actually happening in the room in order for me to truly comprehend. I was missing most of the magic, and she described this surreal feeling of being able to look into your own DNA for the first time. That experience falls flat for most of us. There was a sense for her of belonging for the first time in a, in a genetic kind of way to a people, to a history, to a place, and to a story that she had been a part of for her whole life. That part was just missing. Her own origin story, to be able to look into the past by looking into someone's eyes and seeing her own future as she looked into her mother, who was 16 years older. You see, belonging is an incredible thing. It is a powerful experience, yet so easily misunderstood and overlooked and missed. You see, without a sense of belonging, this world can become a very lonely place. It's because we were created for connection, and there's something in us that longs for that. We were created for connection, to feel that we belong. And connection and belonging isn't the same as just fitting in. That's altogether different. Being surrounded by other human beings doesn't guarantee a sense of belonging. Robin Williams taught us this when he said that I used to think that the worst thing in life is to feel all alone. I've discovered that the worst thing in life is to be with people who make you feel all alone. You see, that's fitting in. But belonging, by definition, actually is about being a part of something bigger than yourself and the beautiful interactions that can come from that. This could mean family or social clubs or teams or faith communities or support groups or yoga. The list is endless in terms of the diverse ways we can feel that we belong somewhere to a community, to something bigger than ourselves. Ultimately, to an idea that somehow makes us feel connected. Psychologist Yolanda Jettern, in her research, she's discovered that that feeling a part of something bigger than yourself actually contributes to your own self-worth. Well, that's interesting. 
because we have a deficit in our culture of people who can find value in themselves. I wonder if it's related. In his book, Happiness Hypothesis, Jonathan Haidt describes belonging as vital engagement, the web of relationships and a sense of community in which you feel connected with activity, tradition, and the group itself. Interesting that research is showing that having a large group of friends doesn't actually predict self-worth. Instead, it's a sense of belonging that contributes to it. Merely fitting in doesn't produce the same powerful results at all. That being a part of something that allows us to live authentically, not artificially, that fosters a sense of value and overwhelm being. So it's no surprise then that they found a link between those who maybe struggle with a myriad of mental health issues like depression and anxiety as a result of not having any sense of belonging, of feeling disconnected from each other. One of the largest studies done by Nottingham University, which included over 4,000 participants, revealed a correlation between people's happiness and their connection to social groups. In fact, they discovered that with each additional group that people connected with, truly connected with, their happiness increased by 9%. Belonging contributes greatly to our emotional well-being. It makes you wonder that if after three years of isolation, we are possibly feeling the effects of a belonging deficit. For those of us who just feel flat, and trying to figure out what's wrong. The world's getting back to normal, but for some reason, I feel worse than before all of this. The pandemic has not been kind to our mental health. It has isolated so many of us from our communities of people that helped us feel a part of something. We may not have physically distanced ourselves, but we certainly socially distanced ourselves. And in turn, it seems spiritually distanced ourselves from each other and part of what makes us feel alive. In these crazy times with all the uncertainty in the world, we can easily feel unattached and alone. And belonging is deeply connected to an identity of shared beliefs and ideas about the world and our place in it. A sense that when you are not facing the uncertain future by yourself, you're not alone. That together, anything can happen. You see, our need to belong is hardwired into us, and I think the reasons why are hidden in plain sight in that Genesis creation story. In fact, both of them. Yeah, there's two. And it's there that we find these accounts of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and again in Genesis chapter 2. These two creation stories found at the beginning of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, where God details the story of how he created humanity, and not so much how, but why how life was formed in six days, where God finally, on the sixth, fashions humanity out of the dust of the earth. And then God rested and saw that it was wonderful and good. In the second creation story, in, in the uh, other creation story found in chapter 2 of Genesis, the focus is on the creation of man. The fact that there are separate accounts of this specific detail tells us that there's something more to the story that isn't found in the first telling. And in this second account, we observe something really fascinating. God forms Adam before he creates all the animals of the earth. And that the animals were actually created to be a companion for the human that God has fashioned. And the author of the second story envisions God parading all the animals in front of Adam so that they could be named. And you may be familiar with the story. 
Once again, let's not get lost in wondering if this really happened and miss all the ways that this actually happens. There is a powerful spiritual truth planted in this story that transcends time that we miss if we don't feel the need to struggle with it. Let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 2, a couple verses. God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. A few verses later, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that is what its name was. And so man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, for this man, no suitable helper was found. Now, if you need this story to be about cosmology, you're missing some of the most beautiful things that this story is trying to teach us. Something jumps out to me in plain sight. God creates the whole earth, all the animals, and all of it is a gift to Adam. All of it is a gift to humanity, yet in the end, this human still feels alone somehow. There is something deeply absent that can't be found in the entire known created world that was perfect. How true is that? We can have everything in this life, even a relationship with the Creator itself, like Adam, but it will not be enough because we were created for more. Now let me continue the story. God decides to fill that void in Adam by creating another human. In chapter 2, verse 21, it says that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh, and from that rib created another human. And when Adam discovers another fashioned in his own likeness when he awakes, he declares, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What a beautiful story. Many think this is a story about sexuality, but don't be mistaken. This is a story about humanity. This story is trying to tell us that we can search the whole creative world and discover that what we're searching for to complete us is not found in the starry skies or the majestic animals, but in the eyes of another human, in the eyes of other humans. What this storyteller is trying to tell us makes me wonder if why wasn't the whole of creation enough? Why wasn't the presence of God enough for Adam? Why is it that he still felt alone? Why was it that another human seemed to hold the key to him finding a meaningful existence. Now, I think the answer to those questions are found, at least for me, in that first creation story found in Genesis chapter 1, just one page earlier. In that first account, it says that God, after creating all the living creatures, decided to create humanity. And it's in this first story, it says that humanity was created in the image of God. That God somehow imbued in the creation of mankind something divine. Now that alone is a mystery. We don't fully know what's meant by this, except that perhaps this ancient story tells us that we were created to see God in each other. Not just in the infinite, not just in the stars, but in each other's eyes. To see something so holy that it desires to bring us comfort and belonging against the backdrop of all creation. It is our connection to each other that we find a sense of divine belonging. 
because I think it's where we truly find a physical glimpse of God. I think it's because we each bear this image of God. So there is something so spiritual about our connection to each other. It places us in a larger story. We belong. Years ago, I read this quote by Mike Mason, and I've kept it because it inspires me in this direction. It challenges me as much as it inspires me. This is what he writes. He says, if man really is fashioned more than anything else in the image of God, then clearly it follows that there is nothing on earth so near to God as another human being. The conclusion is inescapable that to be in the presence of even the meanest, lowest, most repulsive specimen of humanity is still to be closer to God than when looking up at a starry sky or at a beautiful sunset. So what happens when we can't find the image of God in each other? We look elsewhere. Many religious ache for the apocalypse. We're living in a time where people just can't wait for the world to end. Why? Because they can't find God here. But when you can find God here, now, in the faces of friends and strangers alike, when you can find God somehow in the united efforts of communities and friendships to make earth as it is in heaven a more gentler, kindler, loving space, then the desire isn't to leave, but to be here together. Like with Adam, another human created a sense of belonging for him and to each other, but also to God in some mystical way. It's one thing to see your own human DNA, but to recognize our divine DNA in each other. That's another connection altogether. If we can catch a glimpse of ourselves in the face of someone else, wow, we just might know what it is we need to do in order to begin to see what the image of God might look like in us. Many of us have started, or sorry, many of us have stared into our proverbial reflections for years and still don't know what it is we're looking at. But if we can get to a place where we can begin to see glimpses of who we are in the stories and lives of other people, maybe we can find it in our own reflection and realize that we belong to each other. And it is through each other that we discover it. And likewise, the truth is that unless we believe that we can find the divine in other people, we'll never be able to find it in ourselves. Maybe this is part of our problem. Hopefully we can begin to understand why we were created to be in community. Our horizontal relationships are some of the most overlooked, meaningful spiritual encounters that we're ever going to find. And yet we look to the sky believing that everything we need that brings deep meaning and purpose comes from above. And God shouts to us from down below in the face of an addict, a nurse, a plumber, a student, a stranger in line at the bank, or sitting behind us here at the parish. When Jesus was asked by a religious leader what, in his opinion, was the most important command in all of Scripture. Jesus' response is still making us think it was to love God and to love people, and that nothing else mattered. I really think the magic in that response is they actually happen at the same time, or they don't happen at all. I am convinced that the reason so many religious are so misguided is because they spend their days looking up, longing for more, and missing that longing is the second half of a word that starts with be. And some just don't know how to just be here. To believe that here is enough, and therefore they only know how to long. Sometimes I think the very thing we're searching for is discovered in the last place we'd ever want to look, in the company of each other. 